You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. I'm Jay Mack in St. Louis. This is Sam Wade out in Los Angeles. Did you thought I was going to say more? <laughs> uh, well, you know, and I just went with it because I figured you could just cut it together. I mean, wh- hey, this is Sam Wade. There you go. Los Angeles where it's sunny. <laughs> normally, normally I'm very loquacious. There's a word for you. I just talk and talk and talk and I like... I like have like an intro and I babble. Oh, that was a ten dollar word. Yeah, well, I'm not now. I'm babbling. Yeah, now I'm... man. What is what is what does loquacious mean? I mean, that's an amazing word. I think I think that's one of those words that now I'm gonna hear it all the time. What does it actually mean? Talkative or excessively so? I guess excessively talkative. Okay, well, you're definitely loquacious then. So I'm down with that. That should be like your uh, rapper name or something. Loquacious, loquacious D. <laughs> So I'd just like to remind our listeners that there is a new episode available every Wednesday on SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, and Spotify, as well as something special Sam is going to tell you about right now. J-Mac, this last Saturday, we released something we're very, very excited about called B-Sides, which is like a compliment to two tape decks and a mixing board, and it's outtakes, crazy things that happen off mic when it's technically supposed to be off mic, we get a, we get approval for this type of stuff. But besides, check it out. It comes out every Saturday. And sometimes the most insightful off-kilter conversations happen before we start the show. Like, it's like true. We had a crazy one tonight, didn't we? Oh yeah, we got all deep into some crazy scenarios. And that's what <laughs> I, I was sitting I was sitting on my couch before we came down here. I'm like, hmm. And I came up with a great scenario. I think we'll make it our B side this week because I love it so much. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a hell of a show this week. We're gonna talk about things you buy instead of downloading or streaming, how it's changed the industry. But before we get to that, we're gonna I guess the best way to we let's start from square one. How did we originally get these things, specifically music? Because the generations following ours, it changed so rapidly. Now kids don't even really buy cds which is crazy to me well i mean it's it's absolutely true like our parents um they might have had like one or two maybe three different formats of music um you know uh for for us it's a unique thing too because like we've both been around here for a little over 40 years um but we've had we've seen in in and a really in, incredible increase in change of how the how music actually gets delivered to our ears, right? So I think it's exciting to talk about that because for me, it started off with records. How about you? The first music I remember was a record. My dad had a collection, and I would I was always the one like, let's get out some music. I had a dinosaur record, which I was a big dinosaur nerd. Like I guess it was it was too young to be a nerd, but I love dinosaurs, and I would play it. On loop, I actually found a copy on vinyl recently in the last few years, and it brings me back. Turning that record on reminds me of being a kid because records were the number one thing that that would have been the late seventies that I that I was born in seventy six. I guess when I started really paying attention to music, it would have been like around eighty eighty one. I know you're a little younger than me, but you still you still were born in the vinyl era. 
Oh, I absolutely. I'm, I'm like on the tail end of Gen X. Like I was born in 79. So it was like, um, that was like the main thing, um, that I listened to music on first too. Like before I even had a concept of a cassette tape, it was a record first. Absolutely. Now, the, I mean, I did have a couple records of my own as a kid. They were like Davy Crockett, the the Disney story records. And I think there was a Jonah and the Whale one that I would get. And I actually had a little, I want to say it was a play school turntable. You remember, you, you remember those, like those old plastic ones with the real flimsy needle and stuff. And I yeah, remember. No, totally dude. Like those are, that are like a, like a Fisher Price. Yeah. Fisher Price. Uh, record player. Like, like the, the really weird off color brown. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. That actually, uh, Fisher Price uh, was a lot of. That was a really popular brand uh, when we were kids. And my very first tape recorder, by the way, was one of those Fisher Price tape recorders. That's that's actually when I first started recording. What about you? Oh, I remember those. It wasn't it like red, like red, white, and yellow it was like primary colors. It was like a big plastic thing with a little microphone that plugged into it. Well, well, the one that I remember, that was definitely one of the ones that was out there. The one that I remember was it looked similar to the same color and style of that record player that we were talking about. And for for me, like we used to go on these really long road trips when I was a kid. Um, I think they talked about on the show, actually, at, at one point where uh, we would get in the car and we would drive at night because our car didn't have air conditioning. So we would drive <laughs> at night. And uh, on those trips, my parents were, did a really good job, um, especially my mom. She did a really good job of keeping us entertained. They have, I, have, I have two two other siblings. And we're, we're actually pretty close in age. So to keep us from fighting in the car, they would give us things to keep us entertained. And one of the things that really changed my life was this tape deck. I'd have to dig it up. I have a tape buried somewhere of stuff that I recorded when I was probably like four or five years old, riding in the car, uh, talking into this tape deck. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Fascinating. I had a tape. I think I lost it. It was my dad recorded me. Um, there was like, they used to clean a church or something. And, and my dad put a tape recorder and like the, the microphone set up, like the, there was a tape deck hooked up to it. And I'm singing Jesus loves me and all these songs and uh, tape. Tape was the one medium that when I really became of age, I guess I'm going to jump forward to like 12, 12 or 13. Cassettes yeah. became more prevalent because they were portable. It was really, you can't really bring a record player in the car. I mean, I guess you there. I've seen, I've seen on Starsky and Hutch, the remake Snoop Dogg's got a record player in his low rider Cadillac or something. It's not practical. So tapes became. I mean, very there was products out there on the market that did that for a while. Like there was like little forty-five uh, 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 players in cars. They didn't work very well. <laughs> I, I can imagine I think they A-Trex did. Over that. Yeah, then a I guess I kind of missed out on the a tracks. I remember them. I remember. I think I don't think. I think my dad had a couple, but his a track player broke pretty early on. But I remember a tracks being around at other people's houses. And I think the first time I saw a tape deck in a car was an a track because that was. You could play eight tracks, but the problem with eight tracks was like they would, they would cut out in the middle of a song. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't they? If it yeah, had to, you have to switch the program, yeah, and then yeah. it has to go to the other like level of the tape. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's part of. I guess you could say it's part of the charm of the format, but I don't know that eight tracks are actually a really great format. No, and cassettes really aren't either. I used to bring my uh, cassette player out. My, you remember that giant boombox that I still have when I would Absolutely. go when I would go skateboarding in the old neighborhood. And yeah. I would bring I would bring my Christian metal uh, cassettes out, and 
cassettes were great because they didn't skip, but the problem was, especially when they were out in heat, they, they, they would get really brittle or they would get really soft and your tape deck would eat them. Or, or if you're not being careful and you set it next to some speakers or something that had like a magnet in it, you yep. can erase parts of your tape by accident. Yep, that happened um, a couple so yeah, times. It really was a terrible format. <laughs> it's great for recording. Like it, it's, it sounds really good when you're recording to tape, but it's just it, it is really brittle. But yeah, dude, do you remember that your first Walkman? Like, how old were you when you got your first Walkman? Well, I borrowed my dad's. My dad worked. A- like a physical manual labor job and he would have the little headphones and yeah a walkman kids was a little tape player it was like the size of a a big almost like a big wallet like a thicker wallet and it was like you would put the tape in it and you could it was before this was the mp3 player before mp3 players existed and my dad would bring that to work and i remember sometimes when i would i guess i would go skateboarding sometimes i would borrow his walkman but you only had enough juice for like maybe three tapes or so because the battery you had to put batteries in it kids you couldn't hook it up to a charger you had to actually put new batteries in it every time it wore out (laughs) that is you know that's part of why we're talking about this because i feel like it is kind of um an interesting there's there's some i should have looked this up but there's some name given to that bracket of age that's part of that Gen X um, and it kind of crosses over into the millennial eras. There's like a, like a five or six year block of, of people that were born into this society that started analog and then migrated over digital. So it's, it's kind of crazy how many different things have changed. Like we're talking about like with records and then tapes within just a few years. And I remember first hearing about CDs like in the mid to late eighties, they cost a lot. Do you remember how much CDs used to cost? I mean, I remember that my mom and my mom and dad had this rich friend and we'd go over to their house and they had CDs, which I thought was like the Holy Grail. And I would listen to stuff on CD that I would never, ever listen to just because it was a CD. And I, I want to say they were like between 50 to $75 or something. It was pretty ridiculous how much they were. I think it was, you know, they, they had a, a really slow start, you know, for, for the longest time, it was hard to figure out how to package them and market them i'm not an expert on this i'm not going to claim to be an expert but just from from what i've seen from some of the stuff it's like that's why the flat pack was designed right yeah it was designed so that a cd could fit into a slot that was designed for selling vinyl which is really you know just like a thin like almost like a card yeah file you set it in so they put this in a flat pack so it fit in there with the same merchant uh, merchandising <laughs> I remember going to the Christian bookstore because we didn't go to regular uh, music stores at that time. And I remember going in there and there was a lot of records. And then I remember a brief time later going in and the entire record section was gone and there were CDs and tapes. And of course, I couldn't afford the CDs at first. I would get the tapes. And do you remember you had the listening stations? And you could actually, some stores would allow you to get the the tape or CD out and listen to it. So you could see. No, I do remember uh, when they had had listening stations. There was like, um, I want to say that there there was a short lived brick and mortar version of Blockbuster called Blockbuster Music, and I think that they were the first chain to do this. I might be remembering this wrong, um, and if if I am, you know, definitely let us know. But I think I, I want to say it was Blockbuster Music. One of their things was like they would like come in pick out a CD or a tape or anything like on the floor, bring it up to the front. We'll open up the packaging for you and you can listen to it before you buy it. Right. 
Um, and I remember like some of the smaller retailers having to keep up with the same thing. In St. Louis, there was this awesome chain called Streetside Records. Loved it. Do you remember them? Love Streetside. It was by your house. Yeah, well, there were, and there was, um, there was. I think the biggest store was there in the in the Loop. You know what I'm saying? Like, though, there was just so much uh, cool stuff that came out of that store. But I remember going in and and listening and being able to listen to them, and then like, uh, you know, deciding if I wanted to buy it. <laughs> like those are in the, those are in the days before streaming when yep. you could just go and you just buy a subscription to Spotify, and it doesn't matter. You can listen to whatever you want. Then you might like one song that you heard on the radio, and then you get the album, and you're like. I don't like any of these other songs. I yep. just wasted my money on this CD. Here's a, here's a story. I used to work with a guy named Al, and this was when Marilyn Manson started coming up. I guess what late '90s Marilyn Manson. I, I'm not. I was not into him at the time. I'm still. I still don't really like him, but I do know some. I, I I respect some of what he does. Not his personal life, but his music. Anyway, long story short, this guy went to Streetside or whatever, and, and he was like, this guy was a little older than me, and he said. He said, you know what? I had to find out what this Marilyn Manson shit was all about. And he was like, that guy is a piece of work. Because that was the Beautiful People album, whatever that was. Uh, Antichrist Superstar. That's when I first started realizing that these stores, you could go in and listen to the CDs, not just the tapes. Because the Christian bookstore we had growing up, they had tapes you could listen to, but they didn't have every one that they sold. You had to just go through the ones they decided to open to listen to. I remember the Blockbuster Music name. I don't remember the store, but... It was pretty revolutionary to think if I can, if I don't like the CD, I don't have to buy it. I, I can open it up and listen to it and then say, no, 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 and then put it back in the case and move on to the next one. But that all changed with Napster. You want to speak to Napster? This was Lars Ulrich, the drummer from Metallica, got a lot of, a lot of flack for coming out against Napster. I still don't know where I feel on Lars Ulrich, but I will say that Napster, the record company did not, the record companies did not see this coming and it changed everything. And that was kind of the death of what we at the time considered to be the music industry. I don't think anybody realized it when Napster first came out. So Napster was uh, founded uh, in 1999. Um, and this is the tail end of the nineties. Everything was starting to change. Um, people started having cell phones. I want to say by that point, at least the thought of trying to have digital music out there, um, existed. Um, I know by that point I had been able to download at least clips of audio was really compressed and sounded really, really shitty, but able to download samples of songs off of albums and play it like in sound recorder in windows 98 or something like that, or windows 98 <laughs> five. You know, being able to play like little clips. I remember, you know what? I, you know, I remember downloading was uh, Jeremy Enoch from Sunny Day Real Estate. He had a record that came out in '97 called "Return of the Frog Queen," and on his website, you could download. I don't think it was like you know 30 seconds of one of the songs from the album, and that was one of the first songs I ever downloaded on the internet. And it probably took five hours to download that 40 second clip <laughs> at that time period. But when Napster came, you could go on and there was like this, it was called a peer-to-peer -peer network where you have like multiple different computers coming on and acting like servers to download those music. And it, it dude, I, you have to tell me if you remember, have, have some memories of how long it would take to download music. Like it would take hours to download one song because the connection was so slow. Well, here's, and I, I hope I won't go to jail for this. This is all water under the bridge, but I, I'm a big Oasis fan. And for those in the know, 
Oasis released a lot of B-sides that were not available in the States. So the only way to hear these songs were to download them from Napster. There was no iTunes. There was no way to get them unless you, like, I guess, got a catalog and, and email and mailed for their CDs. But their CDs were in a different format, different region, so you couldn't play them. So I would, I would wait and I would search online for Oasis B-sides. Yeah, I mean, you would literally, it would, you would, you would have to tie up your phone line for hours because this is when it was dial-up. There was no DSL or broadband. You had to, you had to log on via the phone line. And I remember having to download stuff at night. Um, yeah, and it was, but it was, there was something exciting about waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. As long as it didn't conk out halfway through the download, which happened more than one time. <laughs> Well, especially if you didn't have a second phone line in your house, because yes. at this point you were dialing in over an analog phone line uh, with a modem transferring th- this information. You were lucky if you had anything over a 28.8K or, or I'm sorry, a megabit uh, speed uh, connection. And just kind of put this in context for people too. Like we're talking about 98, 99. This was, re- I mean, this is like early early point where like there was even enough speed and in, in these internet connections to even share this kind of stuff over line i mean we're just like a few years past like building geo or geo cities and like angel fire websites oh geo cities i remember geo cities <laughs> i was building stuff like that just to kind of check it out and, and i was definitely interested in it but like this was also at that point where like dvds were first coming out Yep. Um, the idea that you could burn your own CDs was new at this point. I I remember that um, I used to use this program called Nero. Oh um, yeah, that I would burn my CDs. I had Nero uh, for a while. I, I I released two albums in the in the late '90s on CD, and I would hire a guy that had a had a CD burner. I didn't have a CD burner, so I would hire him to make copies of it for me. <laughs> yeah, but so Napster changed everything, and record companies were slow to see it coming. They eventually, I guess, a few years later, came up with iTunes. Let's not skip over 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 iTunes, though. I mean, iTunes really that was. We have to take one step back to like when the world really changed in, in two thousand one for digital music, right? Because Napster's in ninety nine, and then services like LimeWire and some of the stuff you would come out where you could like download stuff, but people didn't have any really any way to listen to these MP threes that they were downloading, other than on their computer. Yeah, and there was a lot of companies that like built. Really kind of crude uh, at this. Well, now they seem crude. And then it was cutting edge technology to be able to put this music onto a little MP3 player that you might fit like 20 songs on. And then Apple released the iPod in 2001. That's when things really accelerated because then people were like, you could you could pick and choose the songs you wanted. Albums became less and less important. People would buy the new let's just say the new Rage Against the Machine, and they would want Sleep Now in the Fire and Gorilla Radio, and they don't want the rest of the album. So they would pick and choose the album, the songs they wanted and put them on this little thing that fit in your pocket. Unlike a Walkman, it was the, basically the size of a like a thick credit card, and it had a little wheel that would control your selection, and you could carry it in your pocket. And, and I remember it was it blew my mind that you could you could have like 10 albums on it. It was pretty... It sounds it sounds dumb now because you can have I mean I got a little third rate MP, MP3 player that I use now and you can fit so much on it but at the time you would have to constantly clear out your your iPod because if you wanted to listen to another album you only had limited space now you can literally fit your entire music library on a tiny little zip card it's crazy 
It is crazy. And when the first iPod came out, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen one of the very first ones? You could fit about a thousand songs on it. I, I forget what the actual capacity was, um, but it, it was, I want to say it was under 10 gigs. And it might have been way less than that. It might have been like five gigs um, or less. I don't know. Uh, but it was about as thick as like a, like, it was like a, like if you took a deck and a half of cards and stacked them on top of each other, it was about that thick. It only had a firewire cable on it and it only worked with a Mac. Um, but at that point, there wasn't even really any music stores online where you could download stuff. Like you would still have to like um, take your CDs and put it on your CD reader. And then iTunes would like convert those CD tracks into an MP3 that you then put in your iTunes library on your computer. And then you could take those songs from your iTunes library and you would move them over to this iPod. So then you could then walk around for a few hours and listen to that music. It was, <laughs> it was complicated. And, and if you want to kids, if you want to, I'm talking to the kids a lot this week. There's an episode of The Office where Michael Scott, I think it's the first Christmas episode where Michael Scott is, they're playing like gift swap and Michael Scott buys an iPod and it's an old school iPod and it's, he gives it to Ryan and then the whole office ends up fighting over it. It's pretty, it's a pretty funny episode. But yeah, looking back at that, it was pretty much what an iPhone is now, but it was just, it can only do one thing. It only did one thing and it would be like another six years before um, the iPhone even came out in 2007. Um, during that time period, a lot of crazy advancements happened as far as music distribution and getting it in our ears would happen. You know, I remember uh, there was this huge debate for the long time with the big four uh, music uh, companies um, over digital rights management on this music. Like uh, there was a big thing because of, because of Napster, uh, because it would allow people to trade music without paying for it. There was a huge argument um, and problem to solve in the whole industry about how to get paid for this stuff. It actually ended up working out even worse for the artists at this point where we're at now. Um, but a lot of it was to get uh, this music into people's ears. Um, there was advancements on where you could play video on iPods, and then they came out with some of those uh, different uh, types of iPod shuffles and nanos. But it wasn't until 2007 when you had a smartphone and, and, and Apple took the iPhone and kind of popularized uh, the smartphone at that point. And then how that progressed to where now it's like everything is just streamed. Right. And I will say this because we are on iTunes and I do believe this, but I'm going to say this just for the record. I love Apple products. I love them. My iPod, I could hook it up. It would sync podcasts and all my all my music. I loved it. I wore it out so much. Actually, I ran it through the dryer on accident, and that kind of what killed it. But that thing lasted <laughs> four years. In fact, people would tease me years after I bought it because I was like a, it was like an older generation iPod. But I was like, it still works. It's durable. It holds all my music. I could have pictures on there, and like it was awesome. I love Apple products. I cannot say that enough. I love Apple products. I was just going to say that Apple is really a genius at, at at merchandising and marketing and figuring out how to get those products out that people want. Uh, Apple genius. I just realized I said that. Uh, I I knew a lot of Apple geniuses at one point, <laughs> um, but they're they're really good. Like I would love to get my hands on one of those old uh, iPod U2s uh, again. Do you remember those are like black and red? Yes, I do. So let's fast forward a few years now. Music has been streaming. Enter video streaming. And this really, really hit the DVD market hard. 
Once again, the world continues to change. It changes every day. Things get more easy, easy to access, less and less work. But I do remember a time when I would go out once a week on Tuesday. Best Buy would release. It was like new release Tuesday, and I would go and I would buy the movies that the new movies that would that were released. I eventually uh, got over my loathing of Blockbuster because of their late fees, and I ended up going into Blockbuster every several times a week. But I love DVDs. I got a huge collection of them. But DVDs have gone the way of the dinosaur, of the buffalo. They're not. People don't buy them nearly as much as they used to. And one of my theories is the DVD market was so saturated for so long that people actually are drowning in DVDs. If you go to any of the local resale shops, there's no end of DVDs. But with streaming services, it's really made DVD hunting less fun. And I got to tell you, I do enjoy the convenience of streaming. But there was something satisfying of finding Flight of the Navigator on a Best Buy shelf. And being like, I got it. I love that movie. I love it too. And uh, that's that's where I get into my kind of old man gripey thing. It's like, stuff is so easy now. For Halloween, I was a Blockbuster employee. I got my Blockbuster hat on right now. See it? <laughs> and I and the kids were walking up like, I don't know what that is. And I, I, knew, I knew they weren't going to get it. But the parents were like, boy, that costume brings me back. I want to tie this back into music. Go ahead. Um, because I think you bring up a good point about how streaming um, changed, you know, the, the course of of, uh, of video content delivery. Because that's a whole other progression over time. I mean, you, you we, we could start with like VHS or beta. And, you know, back in the time when we were kids, it was VHS tapes. The first movie I, I remember going into a video store to rent and watch was Back to the Future. And just being like, totally like uh just it was like a magical thing to walk into a video store and be like wait a second you mean i can take this home and watch it more than once like i don't have to just wait for it to be like a special on tv like yeah you would have to like wait until thanksgiving to see you know whatever movie was on or you know uh garfield halloween come on at halloween you know what i'm saying like it was at certain events of the year well i remember people telling me because they knew I was a huge Star Wars fan. Oh, did you hear Star Wars was on this weekend? I'm like, dude, I've got the I got the VHS. I don't need to wait for it to come on TV. And then yeah. later, I, later I've got the DVD. I didn't buy the Blu-ray because I'm like, George Lucas had enough of my money at that point. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that feel that way. Um, I'm I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but I will say that uh, I do. There's a special place in my heart for the first three films. Um, but, you know, the point is that there, there's this like similar progression. Um, there's like videos and then there was DVDs and then there was like Blu-ray and Blu-ray was like, you know, that was the last physical format. And then now it's at the point where you buy a subscription and they're tr- still trying to sort out how to, you know, have this content, you know, spread out between all these different apps. Um, and net neutrality plays a big thing in that. Uh, we should talk about that at some point, just how this all affects it. But it's a similar progression to what music has been too because essentially it's the same deal with music now the bulk of 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 music of content delivery is going to come through spotify is going to come through um soundcloud it might come through Bandcamp. it might come through uh itunes or uh, i'm sorry uh, apple music um google music was there for a while amazon music you know a lot of these different subscription services and 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 models out there um so it, it really is it's it's kind of like this problem that people are trying to solve now is how to get it to people. And there's like a really big oversaturation of content now where you get yes. like this anxiety of searching through it. Um, 
but it's also kind of really, I'm going to say unprecedented that we've seen this rapid amount of progression over the course of our lives. Yes. It's, you know, it's, now it's just another thing that people take for granted that you can just go and listen to a song whenever you want. Yeah, I remember I used to have to wait with a tape recorder by the radio for him to play the the, the Striper song that I wanted to hear on Saturday. Or it was Friday <laughs> Friday night. This local Christian station WCBW they would have they they called it Light Rock, as in L I G H T, like Light of Christ or whatever. And and it came on from like eight yeah. to nine or something, and they would play all these songs. And I would sit there with the tape recorder, and I've probably still got some of the tapes around here somewhere where I would literally sit and hit record when the latest uh, Petra song or whatever, because I didn't have money to buy it and I couldn't download it. So I'm like, I got it. And even if I wanted to get Striper, my local Christian bookstore did not carry Striper. I I mean, they, maybe they did, but I it was it was hard to find. <laughs> they were too scary. Too scary. Yellow and black text. Yeah, but yeah, dude, I remember. You know, and, and the thing was, is that downloading that content, downloading, downloading music wasn't even a concept at that point when you were taping stuff over the radio. I mean, like that seemed like something from Star Trek. Just like yes. all the, just the fact that we can have this conversation right now, by the way, where we can see each other and we're and audio, even though there's a slight delay. The the audio that's coming across, we're having like a, re, a virtually real time conversation, um, and it's just we're talking like it's nothing. When we were kids, this would have blown our minds. Well, it reminds and now me, we just take it for granted. Well, it reminds me of that scene in the second Alien movie. I guess it's Aliens, where Sigourney Weaver's in her little cubicle, and Paul Reiser it pops up on her little her little video screen computer, or whatever. And that was so sci fi. You know the scene I'm talking about. They're trying to get they're trying to get Scorny Weaver to go on this alien mission, and there's like one of those TVs that you can see and talk to. It was so sci-fi. They oh, right. said they said it like I don't know. It was like ridiculously far in the future. Now we're doing a podcast, and well, let's let's be honest. When we were kids, there was no podcast. I've been podcasting almost as long as there's been the medium of podcasting. And once I found out, and nobody listened to it, but I would record and I'd put it out there because I loved hearing the sound of my own voice. And um, but well, now, and it was it was something that you were interested in and, and that you were doing even um, I remember you trading cassette tapes of radio shows that you and your friends <laughs> did in your basement. Yes, I would. But that's I, the point. I've I mean, still got those tapes. They're they're horribly embarrassing. But that's the reason that pod, you know things like podcasting exist too. Is it's very much you know like like the thing that's come up with the internet of being part of like. Uh, of of this kind of growth of information, the information superhighway that we heard about as kids, it's right now. I mean, like all of this is dependent on that information superhighway of bits and bytes being transferred over cables all around the world and bounced off of satellites and crazy things like that. But it's it really is. It's all those things kind of like bringing people's thoughts and ideas together. And, uh, you know, being able to create things like the fact that last summer we made um, in an EP as our band Tomorrow Never Knows completely. We haven't even been in the same room for over a year, but we were able to make um, four great songs, release it on iTunes. Check out TNKSongs.com um, but if you want to hear it. But, you know, the, the point is, is that we were able to create something just by sharing files back and forth. Before that, I mean, it was a novel idea. It makes me think of that band the postal service have you ever listened to the postal service no inform me sir 
you need to go and like check out the Postal Service. And if you're listening to the show and you've never heard the Postal Service, go check it out. You might recognize a few of the songs. It was um, actually uh, Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie was like his his project that he did. Um, anyway, <laughs> if you've never heard of the Postal Service, you need to go and check them out. You'll be surprised at the music. And the, and the whole thing about this band is that it was two guys across the country and they would actually put tapes in the mail and ship them across the country and then the other guy would like work on it and then send it back with his thoughts or his ideas and so when they were done they called it the postal service because it went through the usps nice and then they got sued by the usps oh wow um and they worked out an agreement to where they could use the name the postal service if they could sell the cd on the website for the usps (laughs) oh there you go but i will say this big circle life Finds a way, as I always quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park, and you do too. You did it. You did. I think you did it on the last episode we did. Amazingly, vinyl everybody thought was dead. Well, they were they were manufactured up until um, like the late eighties, early nineties, but really kind of like the death knell was like um, CD uh, sales and around like the Seattle scene and like the pop scene of the of the early nineties. I, I will say though is that there was a lot of plants over in Europe that were still pressing records up until the early nineties, like a lot of those records because they were really popular in like former Soviet Russia. So you can still find some records that way, but you have to buy them from Europe. <laughs> well, it's crazy because like we were talking about formats, formats have varying degrees of success, quality rates, cassette tapes were portable they did not maybe the first time around they sounded good the more you played them the more they deteriorated right by the time you played it about 15 20 times it would get little little bumps in it It, it, at any point your tape player could eat it up well and 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 the the same with like records too because the more times that you spun that needle through the grooves it would slowly wear down and round out those grooves um that's why you can still fine record you know that the sound they, they, they don't sound like full fidelity because it's all worn down but the plus side of records is there's a warmth to that sound that cds never recaptured and we did an icon series uh we did in our icon series we talked about larry norman i remember i think i was in on like one of those web chats with larry norman in the late 90s and he said that vinyl was always the medium for him because it had a warmth to it and I didn't get it at the time I was a teenager. I'm like, CD's where it's at, man. Shut your mouth, old man. But uh, I didn't actually say that to Larry. I would never say that to anybody. But Larry was right, and a lot of other people were right. That's why hip-hop and R&B sounds so good on vinyl. It's got a warmth and a, a low end that CD's never quite captured. It's funny because now, what's, what is that? It's almost 30-some-odd years that that vinyl has been out of vogue. It's now back, and actually, physical media record sales are outselling CD sales. The last, uh, last I checked. Now, I, mean, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think well, it's ever gonna eclipse downloads because downloads are so, so so convenient. I mean, I'm not against downloads. I love being able to download music. I I might want a song or two from a different artist, and it's great to get that. I try to support. People support. don't download anymore, though. Like they're just streaming everything. Yeah. Like it's very rare that they're gonna actually download that to their device unless they're saving it to their spotify playlist or, or spotify de- a device because then it downloads like a cached version of it to your device but i think that that's the point 
I think that streaming and availability of music got to a certain point to where people there, they being, being nostalgic, you know, as humans, like we liked to um, hold on to things that are familiar and that we know that's why, you know, traditions and history and everything that lines up, but that is so important to people. And I think that's really where vinyl came in. Um, it's yet to be seen if it's going to be like a, just a phenomenon that lasts for, for a few years or continues. Um, but I think that there's something very intentional about listening to a record. And it's also kind of cool because you can, you can share it on Instagram. You can tell your friends, you can go and have, sit down and listen to it. Um, and you can hold that vinyl jacket in your hands and open it up and look at the artwork and then like, think about it while you listen to the song. You can do that with cassette tapes and cassette tapes. There's actually still a market for cassettes as well. Um, but I, I just don't know that it's going to eclipse vinyl. Vinyl is just a cool thing. Um, and it, it just, I, I just want to say one quick thing that people may not know the difference between a vinyl and a CD or a tape. And what's actually happening is when the record needle drops into the groove on that vinyl record, what's actually happening is that there's this needle and it bounces back and forth inside this groove as the record spins. And it's like a physical representation of a sound wave. And it's recreated by being sent through that record needle into an amplifier and then into those speakers. And so it's actually physically recreating the sound waves right there. Which is why it sounds so much warmer. Yeah, that is a big part of why it sounds um, so much warmer. As opposed to a CD, it's actually, it's a digital representation of an analog sound. It's actually not being reproduced. So just some of those things, you know, and there's advantages to both formats. Both records and CDs are actually compressing and removing information out of that music. It has to be able to fit it onto a record or onto a CD. But there's just something about the record that sounds warm and you know that might be marketing it's a lot more fun it's hip we're hipster sam i'm looking at your record collection right now how many records you think you got back there a couple hundred um too many no such thing dude uh too many i i I don't even have a catalog you know so when i look at at the record shelf i think about this documentary that i saw um I think it was the hip hop documentary on, on Netflix and Questlove is like showing his, his uh, record collection in his closet. Have you ever seen that clip before? It's insane, dude. I've seen it. Dude, that guy just has like this and, and he's not the only person in the world that has some crazy collection like this, but he just has like, he is a walking dictionary of like knowing like what break was, uh, you know, cut from which record and who used what. And he has like, thousands and thousands of these records on a shelf that's what appealed to me about collecting vinyl in the first place i think i was watching this documentary about scott walker I'm not sure if you know who he was but he was really incredible artist and definitely worth doing um just like kind of a trip back through his music really unique really really unique uh, artist this really weird deep voice and just this epic just sounds almost kind of like serge gainsburg stuff and in the documentary, I, I want to say Jarvis Cocker from Pulp was talking on screen, and uh, and and he was he was standing in front of like this this whole record collection that he had, and I was I was like, you know, that's like a catalog of like all of his influences, and you know, you could pick up that record and say, you know, I 
I was inspired to make this by this album. And I, I had a stack of records left over from when I was a kid and some things that just followed me throughout life. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to have like a representation of the things that inspired me. So I just started buying records and actually at that point, they were a lot cheaper. It hadn't really caught on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, now, like some of those records that I had that I sold off, you know, probably were actually worth quite a bit, but there's just something about just sitting there and listening to it, you know? So it, it, it's, it's really come full circle. I think that's the point you're trying to make is like all this stuff has progressed, you know, from records to tapes to CDs to, uh napster downloading to streaming and then people got to the point where they wanted to hold something that's me dude that's me dude i gotta tell you i go to the thrift store sometimes and i've got a whole stack of herb alpert records people can laugh at me but you can find herb alpert shame on you if you don't know who he is he's a trumpet player he (laughs) he plays like this mariachi band stuff i love it you can find his records usually for 50 cents or a dollar i've got a huge herb alpert collection i never ever in a million years ever would have got into Herb Alpert if it was not for vinyl. And I mean, I spin it quite often and I, I kind of, I, it's like the archive. I talk about uh, podcasting down here in the bunker. Do you know that scene in the, in the fellowship of the ring where Gandalf is trying to research the ring of power and he goes to Minas, Minas Tirith and he goes down in the archives and he's thumbing through all those dusty pages, trying to figure out where the ring of power came from and its origins that's what I want my record collection to be like. I want people to be like, I mean, without all the dust, but I mean, I want people to be like, holy crap, you got Blue Swede, uh, you've got Burton Cummings, you've got Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, you've got Cheap Trick, Dream Police. I want to, you got Isaac Hayes, Chocolate Chip. I want to blow their minds, dude, because there's something impressive. Okay, we had this, my son had a birthday party yesterday. And there was some of his friends came over and I was explaining to him what a record was. And and these kids don't get it, but I pulled out one of my hip hop records. I figured out which one it was. And I showed it to him, the giant artwork that's as big as a computer monitor. It blew his mind, dude. I pulled out the record. It was, it was a, it was a two record set. Blew his mind, dude. There's something impressive about whipping out uh vinyl. It's, it's nostalgic. It's kind of mysterious. Um, and the, the, the one thing that's cool, the, one of the many things that's cool about my kid is he knows stuff about music in different formats that nobody else knows. He knows what a VHS tape is. He's nine. He knows what VHS is. He knows what DVD is. He knows what Blu-ray is. He knows what a cassette tape is. He knows what a record is. It's amazing. And that's where I'm like, I'm an old soul, dude. I like old things, but old things that are not just for the value of their age, but some something along the lines of there's a warmth and a nostalgia, and frankly, records sound better when they're when they're well taken care of. And I'm an old guy. I mean, I mean, I'm forty. I'm going to be forty five in a month. I'm oh, old. so old. I but dude, I feel like I feel like I'm seventy. Not just because I have Parkinson's, because I'm like I relate to these old rock stars, dude. I relate. Paul McCartney. I there was an interview he did a few years ago where he, he said. We spend literally millions of dollars to to record these songs to make them sound great on big speakers, and then people put them in their earbuds and never get the full effect of what we were intending. And I was it's like, "True, um, you know who's a big advocate for uncompressed audio is Neil Young. Um, that's been his um, battle cry for quality for a long, long time, many decades. Like 
because you know even with records even with records you know there's a finite amount of information that you can put on a side and so you know part of the job of mastering vinyl is filtering out you know how many uh low frequencies there there are and like making those songs fit so like that's why when you get like one of those ronco collections where it has like 20 songs on the side or something crazy they sound kind of really bad it's because a lot of that information was lost there's not much bass there because it makes the needle move more but neil young he's been a a proponent for that stuff too he even started a company for a while called pono um that was about like doing like this lossless audio well, I've actually bought a Jeff Buckley CD. We're, he's coming up on our Icon series, not to spoil it, but I'm, I'm really... No, that's like an amazing thing to talk about. I'm, yeah, really look, I'm really looking forward to it. And this CD, they've taken a, a lot of, or if, a lot, or if not all, the compression out. So when he's quiet, it's quiet. When it's loud, it's loud. You're getting the experience of sitting in a club... Even though it's CD, not not vinyl, it still sounds amazing. It's great to play in the car. They've taken all the compression out. Compression squeezes and, ex- and expand. There's the expander, which expands quiet stuff, and compression, which squeezes down the loud stuff. Technical talk. Sometimes it's necessary to for recording. Like, we use compression on TNK songs because people are used to hearing a certain thing. And I know, I I hope our listeners enjoy our technical talk. I know sometimes we get a little bit too biblical with our audiophile stuff, but this is what we're passionate about. Life through the lens of music. Well, I think it's it's important to talk about some of the stuff, you know, at least scratch the surface on it because, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, what we don't realize is, is, you know, we might not be getting the full representation of, of what it is, but like, that's really what life is in general is we're taking like little pieces of our experience every single day. Um, and over time, creating a picture in our mind, a universe in our mind of what the world is. And I know for me that music has been a huge part of that. Like the way that I see the world, like it or not is through music because it's been a part of my life. Most of my life. You know, my dad tells this story about me when I was a little kid and uh, uh, he put a record on and the record was playing. He went in the other room to go do something else. And the record's spinning around and he hears this drum beat on the song that he didn't hear before. And he was like, where did that come from? I don't remember that being a part of the song. He walks into the room and here's this like two and a half, three year old kid, like hammering out some new beat <laughs> in time with the record. For me music has always been there um i remember like trying to reach up and put the record on the turntable and i could barely reach it and then like pulling the needle over and dropping it onto it it was a physical act it's a part of who we are and whether that's through uh vinyl then or vinyl now being popular again or clicking play on spotify or like a youtube video or whatever it is that we, that music gets into our ears it doesn't change the fact that it's really just about delivering that inspiration, that song into our ears that then becomes part of our experience in the, in the world. What did you agree, Jamie? I agree. Yeah. Although I'm a big fan of vinyl and I do love CDs. Any way you're getting your music is all right with me. I love music just because I'm an old man. and want to listen to vinyl all the time. Does not mean I'm going to poo poo on your way. You get your music. Music is like my my lady actually gets annoyed with me because I get up in the morning and turn on music. It'll be like Frank Sinatra. 
come on, put on your bits and boots and come dance with me, or I'll turn on. Like I had Metallica. I was reading a book on some World War II stuff, and I needed some chaotic music, so I put on Metallica's "Ride the Lightning." I know she was not a fan of that, but it's like I love music, dude. In my car, on my computer, on my walks, in my living room, any way you can get your music, it's good for your brain. Think we got a show? Yeah, man. I think we got a show that, that, you know, that's a lot of fun talking about this. I think we should revisit the subject uh, some other time uh, with one of our guests and talk about this. I think there's a lot to be said here, but it was fun talking about how, you know, things have progressed over these years. For two tape decks and a mixing board, I'm Jay Mack. And I'm Sam Wade. Saying until next week, stay Stay cosmic. cosmic.